This is Angus. Welcome to Angus's Appendices, a Kirby's Kids one-shot. Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we soldier on through Captain America Month here in April. Today, we're focusing in on Tales of Suspense number 80 and the specific story, He Who Holds the Cosmic Cube, August 1966, and Tales of Suspense number 81, and The Red Skull Supreme, which is part two of that story, in September 1966. Let's move on to a little Kirby kernel, where we'll delve a little deeper into Tales of Suspense and Jack Kirby's work in that series. Hey, Welford, fire up the tractor. Time to harvest another Kirby kernel. Tales of Suspense is a comic book anthology series of one-shot comics published by Marvel. It ran from 1959 to 1968, began as a science fiction anthology that served as a showcase for such artists as Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and Don Heck. Then featured superheroes Captain America and Iron Man during the Silver Age of comic books before changing its title to Captain America with issue number 100. Its sister title was Tales to Astonish. Both Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish were both launched with a January 1959 cover date. Initially published under Atlas, the 1950s forerunner of Marvel, it fell under the Marvel banner with issue number 19 in July 1961. It contained science fiction mystery suspense stories written primarily by editor-in-chief Stan Lee and his brother Larry Lieber, with artists Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and Don Heck contributing. Issue number nine, May 1960 introduced Shondu, the mystic, as an anthological story character. He would be reintroduced as a supervillain in the 1970s. It would not be until November 1961 that Fantastic Four number one would hit the newsstands and save Marvel, ushering in their entrance into the Silver Age of comics. The reason I mention this is because Tales was essentially a platform to showcase the remaining talent there at Marvel and to appeal to a wide audience just to keep the company afloat. Issue number 39 finally brought in the superhero genre, and that was none other than Iron Man, created by editor and plotter Stan Lee, scripted by his brother Lieber, and the artists would be Heck and Jack Kirby. Iron Man starred in a 13-page but occasionally 18-page adventures, with the rest of Tales of Suspense devoted to the anthological science fiction and fantasy stories that normally ran in the comic. Issues number 49 through 58 which ran from January to October of 64, would have one anthological story in each issue, and it acquired a framing sequence and ran as Tales of the Watcher, narrated by the namesake Cosmic Witness, introduced in Fantastic Four number 13, and used as a Marvel Universe supporting character since, beginning with number 59, November 1964, Iron Man began sharing the now split bulk with Captain America, who had guest starred in the Iron Man feature the previous issue. Jack Kirby, Captain America's co-creator during the 1940s golden age of comic books, had drawn the character as part of the superhero team, the Avengers, earlier that year, and now was illustrating his hero's soul adventures for the first time since 1941. Issue number 63, in March of 65, in which editor Stan Lee retold Captain America's origin, ran in a series of issues through number 71. 
to November of 1965. These featured period stories set during World War II and co-starred Captain America's Golden Age sidekick, James Buchanan Barnes, otherwise known as Bucky. Sharon Carter was introduced in issue number 75 in March of 1966 and later became a love interest for Captain America. The Red Skull, Captain America's major nemesis in the World War II era, was revived in the present day in issue number 79 in July of 1966 and then would be featured in a two-part story through issues number 80 and 81, which we're profiling today. Now let's move over to a little creative chatter where we'll discuss our writer Stan Lee and our artist Jack Kirby and their early professional history together. Whoever is this artist and this writer, I must meet them. Creative chatter. Stan Lee would recount, in those days they dipped the pen in ink. I had to make sure the inkwells were filled. He recounted this to the LA Times in 2009 about his early days as a teenager working at what was then known as Timely Comics. I went down and got Joe and Jack their lunch. I did proofreading. I erased the pencils from the finished pages for them. Whatever had to be done. I remember Jack would always be sitting at a table, puffing on a cigar, kind of talking to himself as he was doing those pages. At the time, Kirby and Joe Simon were the golden boys for publisher Martin Goodman. Their creation, Captain America, was a bona fide smash hit as America was entering into World War II. Lee, who had gotten the job at Timely because his cousin was married to Goodman, was very eager to please and to learn as much as he could. Eventually, both were enlisted into the army and served their country in different ways, each matching up with how their perceived talents would be used to their maximum. Kirby went to Europe and fought the Nazis on the front lines, a dutiful infantry soldier, and as we had recounted in previous episodes, actually provided maps, reconnaissance maps of areas that he had scoped up in advance of army moving forward in Europe. Lee wound up staying stateside in the army's training film division, writing manuals, devising recruiting slogans, and even doing some cartoon work. After the war, Stanley returned to Timely. He was a prolific writer, churning out scripts in every comics genre imaginable. Superheroes, romance, westerns, humor, science fiction, and horror. Lee became indispensable to Goodman, a publisher known for his trend-setting, chasing, but also frugality. Even during the comics industry's dark period of the 1950s, when Dr. Frederick Wortham's condemnation of comics led to mass burnings of comic books, Lee kept writing. As editor, he also helped keep many comic artists, inkers, and letterers working by constantly buying and making content to put out in the market. By the end of the decade, he was again working with Kirby. This time, they were collaborators on various monster tales being published by what was now Marvel Comics. But Lee was not happy, as he recounted in various interviews throughout the years, and often conflicting terms. Lee, at this point in his career, was feeling increasingly unsatisfied with the comic book field. As the story goes, Lee sat down with his wife, Joan, and told her he was in, he was really ready to quit comics. She convinced him to try to do comics the way he really wanted to do them. Real characters with real problems and issues. That's the story Stan often told about the initial spark that led to the Big Bang that gave birth to the Marvel Universe, beginning with Fantastic Four number one, his co-creation and collaboration with partner Jack Kirby. Lee and Kirby brought out the best 
in each other. All one has to do is view each of their work without the other, and the missing pieces are quite evident. Lee's snappy dialogue and wire-tight characterization, almost deliberate, needing Kirby's kinetic, action-packed artistry for maximum impact. These two were the ultimate team. Now, let's move over to our literary aisle, where we'll explore a little deeper our two stories. Arlando! There's our literary aisle. Now that we're on our literary aisle, let's dive a little deeper and take a look at Tales of Suspense number 80, He Who Holds the Cosmic Cube, August 1966, and Tales of Suspense number 81, The Red Skull Supreme, which is the follow-on story, or part two, if you will, which came out in September 1966. So our first story has Captain America wandering around the city when he hears a loud explosion from the sky, looks up to see a high-altitude plane, which has apparently just exploded. Although, fortunately, the pilot has managed to evacuate the ejected. The capsule the pilot is in lands in the river. Captain America dives in and saves him. He finds out that the pilot is an agent of AIM, who tells him that the keeper of the Cosmic Cube is taking the Cosmic Cube to the Red Skull, who has betrayed AIM after they thought he was working for them. The Red Skull is, meanwhile, watching footage of the keeper of the Cosmic Cube in a plane heading towards him. As one of the Red Skull's men asks him how he convinced the keeper to bring him the Cosmic Cube, the Skull shakes the man's hand, then reveals that he's placed a small device in the man's hand, which enables him to control him. He explains he did the same thing to the Cosmic Cube's keeper when he recently met him, therefore trapping his mind. With the priority which Nick Fury gave, Captain America is able to request an experimental rocket from S.H.I.E.L.D., which he uses to catch up to the Keeper of the Cosmic Cube and board his plane. Captain America manages to hit the eject button, so the Keeper and him are launched from the plane and land near an island, which is apparently the Red Skull's base. The Red Skull is waiting for the Keeper, and so when Cap and the Keeper reach the island, he starts fighting his nemesis. Although Captain America taunts the Skull about how weak Hitler was by killing himself, the Red Skull tells Captain America that it is because of him that Bucky is dead, as Baron Zemo was following his orders when the plot to kill Cap and Bucky was executed. In his rage at the Red Skull, Cap is careless and taken out by a knockout gas emitter, which the Skull has hidden in his clothes. The Red Skull is then given the Cosmic Cube by the Keeper and tests his power. Captain America wakes up and sees this and realizes that the Red Skull is invincible. Now on to part two, the Red Skull Supreme. In the previous issue, as I just recounted, the Red Skull succeeded in getting the Cosmic Cube and now believes himself to be invincible. Captain America tries to attack him with the power of the Cosmic Cube and the Red Skull is able to find a defense for every attack. The Red Skull then creates an artificial being to defeat Captain America in order for Captain America to be defeated in a manner. Despite the artificial being's power and speed, Captain America manages to get an edge over it. Just as he's about to give a knockout punch, it disappears. Captain America is confused until the Red Skull says that he destroyed him, since no creation of his should be able to be defeated by Captain America. He then uses the Cosmic Cube to make Cap disappear. But as he's doing so, Captain America appears to the Red Skull's pride by saying that it would be a greater triumph for the Red Skull if he was allowed to live but was the Red Skull's helpless underling. 
Red Skull is intrigued by Captain America's suggestion and decides to follow through with it. The Red Skull then says that, with the power of the Cosmic Cube, he'll form his own version of the Knights of the Round Table, with all of them loyal to him, and with Captain America as the leader of them. As Cap pretends to suck up to the Red Skull, the Red Skull creates a suit of armor for himself. Still sucking up to the Red Skull, Captain America manages to get close enough to the Red Skull to loosen the Red Skull's grip on the Cosmic Cube. In a desperate bid to keep the cube, the Red Skull uses its power to break up the island around Cap and him. However, in the confusion, Captain America manages to knock the cube out of Red Skull's hand, and the skull foolishly jumps into the water after it, forgetting that he's wearing armor. As the Red Skull searches for the cube, rocks fall upon him from the island, and he begins to sink lower and lower. Captain America manages to get to safety and thinks about how ironic it is that the cosmic cube, which meant more to the Red Skull than life itself, should be the cause of his death. Indeed, an act of hubris leads to the death of the Red Skull. This was quite an interesting two-part adventure spanning between these issues of Tales of Suspense number 80 and 81. Really gripping with respect to the plot. A little cutesy with respect to the armor that was worn by Red Skull. The issuing back or call back to Arthurian legends, Knights of the Round Table, the Red Skull actually being in armor. Again, I think is a bit of a holdover with regard to tropes of the 1950s. However, you were starting to get into that age of Camelot here with being post-Kennedy, the actual musical on Broadway Camelot, and the movie also being popular at that time. So I can see where that could fit in with respect to Lee's sensibilities and his writing. The action sequences throughout both of these stories were fantastic. It is Jack Kirby in his prime. Lots of action. Again, the signature sweeping motions by Cap. Coming in for the punch. Tackling grappling. Never a panel wasted with respect to motion action being captured. It is chock full of captivating artistry and imagery here. From the ship whizzing by to the ejection of the pilot in the first particular story to Captain America diving into the water after that pilot and bringing him up, finding out the information about the Cosmic Cube, along with Captain America then using that experimental man missile and boarding that particular aircraft. I mean, it is amazing. The gun firing in the cockpit. It's just, you now know you're in the presence of a master when you are reading this comic. Kirby shines in this. The whizzing of Cap's shield against the, the pilot as he's getting out of the water so Cap can go ahead and try to get the cube from Red Skull. The interactions between Red Skull and Cap are just fantastic. Those fight sequences, that artificial being that the Red Skull then devises using the Cosmic Cube and Cap subsequently fighting that particular being, that's captured really well too. The detail and the facial details and expressions are just spot on. You really feel captivated and drawn into the book as you're reading it. A fantastic read, a good transitional read, I have to say. The transition being from the Golden Age Captain America to now the Silver Age incarnation of Captain America. I noticed, in particular, the difference between Stan Lee and Joe Simon's writing styles. You had a more deliberate, almost formulaic writing style to Joe Simon's Golden Age Captain America. This dialogue and story 
was more evolved, very character-driven centric, very quippy, clever dialogue back and forth between Cap and the Red Skull. You can tell that Stan Lee was coming into his own as a writer and was really in a state of confidence having now had the success of the Fantastic Four and the expansion of that Marvel Universe that he created with Jack Kirby. Excellent read. I would recommend this as an all-ages read. It does have quite a bit of violence in it, no doubt, but nothing that's gratuitous or would be exploitative, if you will. It all has meaning behind it. It is a very tried-and-true good versus evil, good triumphing over evil, and a great tale at that. So... I would love to hear your opinion of both of these issues, in particular issue number 80 and 81 of Tales of Suspense and stories He Who Holds the Cosmic Cube, which is part one, and then part two of the story, The Red Skull Supreme. Please leave us a message via the Anchor app or drop us a line at Kirby's Kids Podcast at gmail.com. Excelsior! <laughs>